0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices.
1: I'm your host, Andrew Sigwart, and I'm joined with Sydney Davidian, our show producer. Hi, Sydney.
0: Hello, everybody.
1: Well, do we have a triple threat of a guest today or what?
0: Oh, we definitely do.
1: The theme is voice. She has quite a voice in a number of contexts. She's a musician, she's a social advocate, and she's also a realtor. Sydney, tell us a little bit about Marcia's band.
0: If you are someone who frequents the village, you have definitely heard of Motown and Marley before. They're bands that have been playing with us for, I'm not even sure how many years, but it's definitely been a while. They are four locals that have come together Based on the village. They all met in the village. They were all individual artists. And then all of a sudden they found their voice within each other. And now they've created this band called Motown and Marley. It's like a reggae Motown sound that everybody just wants to jam to.
1: And you, we're going to talk a little bit about about one of the band members that literally worked with Motown royalty, Stevie Wonder and Diana Ross. I mean, I could have stopped the conversation right there and just <laughs> dove in and said, get Bam on the call. Let's yeah, talk about
0: unbelievable, this. really.
1: Yeah, re- really, really something. And we're going to learn a little bit about their work and a new album they're releasing soon. So it's a bit of a reveal today. But in addition to all that work as a creative and an artist, uh, Marcia is also a member of the Unity Collective, which is a new initiative that has been formed in Collingwood to really raise awareness around diversity and inclusion, anti-racism, and really bringing a much more diverse group of citizens together to advise local government on everything from policy work, education. And so we spent a lot of time talking about not only Marcia's own personal experience, but the, the, the work of the Unity Collective and what the community hopes to achieve. So it's a really great and timely discussion. And then finally, uh, as everyone knows, one of my favorite topics housing, the real estate market, (laughs) uh, labor force development. Uh, Marcia is also a realtor. Maybe tell us a little bit about Marcia's realty experience.
0: So she works for Royal Page, and I think she said 20, 30 years under her belt, something along those lines. Um, We had a great conversation about, you know, housing in the area and the market and how it's blown up, what people are looking for nowadays, and if there are any hot pockets in the area that people should be keeping their eye out for.
1: So there you go. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy this conversation with Marcia. Hi, Marcia. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Andrew, what an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Just fabulous.
1: Ah, oh, it's so good you could be here. How are you doing?
2: I'm living my best life. Just loving everything at the moment with the exception of the global pandemic but other than that i'm good
1: sydney and i were really excited that you were coming to join us for a chat today uh you are uh what i am going to call one of our best triple threats in the community (laughs) so you are an artist and a performer a creative you are part of the Unity Collective, which is about social action and engagement. And you work in the real estate industry. So really, we are going to cover so much ground today. I can't wait. And I promise the listeners today, there is a through line and a connection to all of it. So stay tuned for the end. You are a bandmate in the the group called uh, Motown and Marley. We've been fortunate to have you and your colleagues um play in the, on the Village Stages a number of times. I, want, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how the band was formed. And I understand there's a Blue Mountain connection.
2: There most definitely is a Blue Mountain connection. And, you know, it's interesting that um, Craig Smith actually is sort of the the center of this. And he used to do an open mic at Jozo's and went up here i had been in a little band in toronto but i thought it was over when i came up here and then i met craig and started going to the open mics and slowly but surely he invited me to maybe join him on stage at blue and we played together a little bit the odd time i come in do a few songs and you know just get get it sort of together and then one day i ran into uh, bam who is our percussionist at another event, and told him that I was playing at Blue with Craig, and he said, I'll come join you. And sure enough, the three of us, because BAM can play with anybody, it's just so brilliant. And the three of us got together on stage, and after we got off stage that night, which was about three years ago, we looked at each other and went, this is something else, the three of us together, and we have to do something with this. And we formed Motown and Marley at the back of the main stage right after that performance. Okay, now we're playing together. What do we do now?
1: <laughs> well, I think some of the best creative collaborations happen as they evolve versus being planned and structured. So that's, uh, that's amazing. What was it like in the early days as you were forming? How did that, how, how did you find your rhythm, so to speak?
2: You know, the funny part was that the rhythm was there craig and i were good together and it was more of an acoustic duo sort of happening and then when bam stepped in he was the rhythm and he was holding down the bottom the you know the the bottom line of it and that's what happened it just went oh my god that's it okay and then since we've added kyle drini our bass wizard to it and it's just taken it up another level and uh just the best i'm from jamaica so it was bob marley was was you know more my sort of influence in there craig loves reggae and bam had played as a child in motown studios his mother was dating a motown exec he took him to work with him sat him down with a bongo or something and he started playing and then by the time he was done he was playing in front of stevie wonder and diana ross and was like an honorary funk brother i'm pretty good here <laughs> come on He's toured all over Europe. He's, you know, it's incredible.
1: That is royalty, Stevie Wonder and Diana Ross. I mean, come on. If those are your teachers, you're doing pretty well.
2: Uh yeah, you're okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you've described your sound a bit of a a bit of a, a Bob Marley, a bit of a Motown influence. You know, how else would you describe the music? Now, do you do do you cut and record your own your own songs? Do you play a lot of um? Uh, a lot of uh, covers. your favorite music?
2: <laughs> you know, we started out doing covers. Um, Craig is a gifted songwriter, but we started out doing covers of Motown and Marley and, gee, anything else we felt like playing, because we can. And through COVID we have started writing music and we're going to be putting out um an ep or an lp of about five or six songs very very shortly
1: we're oh, working amazing on
2: that. i raced from a recording session to come back here <laughs> to catch up with you but we finished we were good and uh yeah motown and marley's original songs are coming out soon it's just writing about what we know and writing about life um wow. and you know, when we get into, into talking about diversity and inclusion, there's a song there that I think is going to fit really, really well. And it's called The Color of Her Skin. And it's about my mother. Oh, can't wait. Blue. Aww. Yeah, we played it a, blue, blue a couple of times and it's been it's been well received. So we're, we're very excited. Very excited.
1: Do you have a, a concert dates announced to promote the the album?
2: Not as yet. We're still recording, so we will as we go stick with our website, and uh, pretty much we'll probably be shouting it from the stage as a blue. <laughs> I mean, blue is our home.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, that's what I was angling for for sure. We want <laughs> we want you to debut it. So there
2: we go. We just made it booking. We like to say we have a residency at Blue, you know, like Celine Dion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's On right, the floating
0: stage. Have you seen them on the floating stage, Andrew?
1: I have seen them on the floating stage.
0: Oh such a treat
2: congratulations on creating the best covid stage anywhere in this world i mean you want to talk about safe the only people that could get near the band had to go out on floating tricycles or paddle boats it's the best
1: yeah it's pretty good isn't it yeah and it's um it's so fun because when we were conceiving of the of the concept COVID was definitely front and center in terms of adapting the safety aspects. In addition to that, related to COVID and, you know, we were when we were preparing for this conversation, you and I were talking about doing some of the things that we're surprised we didn't do before. That whole pond environment was kind of uh, ignored for a long mm-hmm. period of time. And we stepped back and looked at it and went, well, we have about a dozen terraces that ring that pond, a lot of opportunity for guests to enjoy themselves there, businesses that we want to support and a pond in the middle of it all, which almost feels like a stage. So, you know, it, it was, it was part COVID, but part looking at our, our businesses and helping them recover and making sure that guests could really enjoy a show at a safe pace and distance. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's been fun to work on. And thank you for being one of the first to help us do the sound checks and prepare for it. And, and obviously you guys sound amazing out there. I, I have a question for you. I think as performers, you have a really unique um, perspective about communities. I'll give you an example. I remember when I used to live in Toronto, and I would go to a live show, I often found that um audiences were pretty buttoned up kind of conservative and then i would go to montreal and watch a show and people were like hanging from the rafters and of course (laughs) i always loved to see a show in montreal for that reason Mm -hmm. so i think you as a performer learn a little bit more about the community by observing and interacting audiences i'm wondering if you've had any observations about the audiences here in the south georgian bay you know what what are we like as an audience
2: i think we have some of the best audiences around i really do you know and it changes I've played on all three stages now, which you know is an absolute gift. And it changes from stage to stage. If you're in the main stage and the audience can get a little bit closer to you at times, there is nothing like looking out and seeing a little person dancing away or tapping their feet or dancing in their stroller. Like, I mean, it's so fabulous. And just the freedom they have. They can go to a patio. They can stroll around. I mean, you've offered... So many great venues for them to enjoy a show from at a safe distance, if they like.
1: And I think you know, for us, it's really important to think about the customer. So mm-hmm. wh- whomever that is, and for us at the Village Association, we know many people come because of the content. We're, we are we are such a music hub in the whole region, and we know music lovers want to have that sense of freedom and they want to experience that joy the sounds movement so yeah it's really important and i would imagine as a performer you're always taking those inputs in and and learning from what you see
2: and it's the energy that comes back because you know we're performing there to people that are on vacation relaxed having a wonderful time there's no better audience than that
1: now a question for you as a creative and as an artist what was it like during COVID? How how did you channel the creative energy and drives when you were kind of held back and had to had to put a pause on performing?
2: Oh, it was it was um, COVID is not made for extroverts. Let's start there. It is tough. It is tough, but what i did and what my band did is that we decided to channel our energies into raising money for those that needed it most through covid so i had for example the first one and i I work for royal lepage and they have the shelter foundation that all of that money goes to women's shelters against domestic violence and what we did was, I got the, the guys to record, and that was a, a whole thing, to record backing tracks for me because we couldn't mm. be together in a room. So from my living room, singing to the back of my phone on like a Zoom or a Facebook Live, I would perform for the Royal Page agents who were also locked down and also a whole group of extroverts locked in their houses. And we did a fundraiser for the first one we did for the Shelter Foundation, and we raised $6,000 from our real estate uh, friends for the Shelter Foundation, which most of which went to my friend's house wow. here. And Bravo. You know, that was our that was our first one, and then I was invited to do quite a few more, and by the end of it, I think we had passed $40,000 for charity, singing wow. to the back of my home, like it's... Crazy. Now, mind you, if I never have to sing to the back of my phone again, because you don't get a lot from the back of your phone. <laughs> my phone is not dancing for me. It's tough. <laughs> but you know what? We just, you have to channel it in, in ways. And I believe in ways that can help your community. That's, mm-hmm. that's what got us. Through for sure and good
1: for you and you know what that help was needed it was really needed in the community so i guess in a way you found your purpose which then helped you to kind of channel the creative energies which is amazing
2: sorry really and which it. um which shelter is this so uh royal page has its shelter foundation mm-hmm. which covers all the shelters the shelter that we have locally here is called my friend's house and when we raise money it goes to that shelter a great portion of it yeah. so they try to keep it local for whoever raised as much as possible and which then some amazing. goes down to, to stop this so hopefully we don't need a shelter anymore that's my that's, goal that's, yeah that's
1: it, which which is an amazing goal and an important one and and the need for that is growing exponentially oh, yeah, and we're going to get yeah, to that
2: yeah yeah, exactly. yeah we're going
1: to get to that but i have a couple more music questions for you who were some of your musical influences when you were younger you know, from the, let's say from the, 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 reggae or the, or the Motown sounds, or were there other influences that shaped you?
2: Well, the interesting part was when I was younger, I was a figure skater. And the only thing I listened to was show tunes. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> I had to learn All of this, and actually, unless I went down, we 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 had Funny Girl playing at our house, trying to pick out music for skating programs, because I was a figure skater for 15 years. And then when I would go down to Jamaica, my you know I'd go down every year pretty much to see family, and then I would hear you know, some of the local music and stuff. And it always it always was a connection for me. Bob Marley was was the one. The legend album I, I got probably in my late teens and just wore it out. So that that would be the biggest thing. But literally I had to as I got into bands and music, I had to learn it all. It was uh-huh. like oh You know, I I think it was the movie The Big Chill was the first time I heard half the music that I play. It's half our set list. (laughs) Wow.
1: Well, I think musical theater does provide you a good early education, especially on on expression and conveying emotion. Right. So there's there's always a link. How about you,
0: Sydney? <laughs> yeah.
1: How about you, Sydney? Your musical influences from you as a child?
0: You know, it's funny. I, I was a figure skater too, and my mom was always into musicals. So I grew up kind of the same way, Marcia. Like I only knew like Miss Saigon and uh, I don't know, all of those musicals. So I'm a big show tunes musical kind of person as well. But I remember my first bands that i loved was i think i was in the sixth grade and my parents introduced me to queen
1: Uh, oh i just listened
0: to their i can't remember which album it was but on repeat for probably three years (laughs) but that's what you do when you're that age right like you find something that you love and then you just obsess over it so that was my first that was my first musical obsession
2: i think you and i need to get Together, Sydney, play show tunes and drink wine, and I think we'd be good.
0: (laughs) I would love that. Please.
1: I was in band through all through grade school and high school and played a variety of instruments, but it was always the it was always the show tunes. I did a bit of theater as well, but it was always those songs that kind of were in the, the the ecosystem. So it's kind of funny. But you know, I'm influenced by the Olympics right now, and I had a memory Uh, that I thought was really funny as I was preparing for this interview Marcia and that was it was our track and field days I think I was in grade four or five and uh, we were doing track and field and all the boys my age were listening to you know Motley Crue and you know Bon Jovi and I had Aretha Franklin's pink Cadillac playing on my little Walkman (laughs) so you know I, I can definitely appreciate although Aretha was Motown adjacent I can appreciate the sound and I think those were some little clues to maybe my family about what my future would look like (laughs) but that's the thing about music isn't it it um it's the soundtrack to our lives and so you know what a gift to be able to provide that to others i'm sure it must be so rewarding
2: you know it's for that last night um, we played the floating stage and i put it out there on social media and you could look around the patios when i said you know, do I have any anybody? Do I have any friends out there? And every patio, like people stood up and it was just like to have all of that support and love coming together and enjoying what you provide to them as Blue Mountain. I mean, it's a gift to have that in our backyard that you have always kept the entertainment going as long as you weren't completely and totally locked down there's always some safe fun to have at blue and i've been so grateful for that
1: oh well thank you it's been our pleasure and you know we love we love to showcase local artists and local acts and you know when when people visit different communities You know, they're visiting, you know, they're coming to engage in an activity. They're going to, you know, to have a meal. Mm -hmm. But really, it's the people and the culture that they're coming for. And for us, and for me personally, the the music and our our talented local performers, I mean, that provides uh, an experience that you can't get anywhere else because it's us. So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's so important.
2: Local, you know, like for a while and in our, just in our band, BAM, you know, has been doing bam-tastic drumming there forever. And, you know, as soon as that can come back because that is something so unique and and different. And people take that and they take the love energy that he that he puts out and they take it home with them. For sure. You know I just think it just makes everything better when people take the music home with them. It just keeps them smiling. They just yep. the memories of their vacation. Incredible.
1: Yep, they're always there, aren't they? We have a lot of young, there's a lot of young talent in the community. A lot of, you know, people who look up to yourselves and BAM and your bandmates, and they want to build a career for themselves in the music business. What advice would you have for them?
2: You're going to have to ask BAM and Craig. I don't have a clue about the music business. I just get up there and sing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's the best advice at all.
2: Really? I I truly, um, you know, for me, I have found that just... Letting it all go on stage, like, I'm not shy about anything that I do. I'll go out there and just move how the music makes me move, just dance and enjoy. And I figure if I'm enjoying it, then hopefully everybody else is enjoying it as well, too. You know, if you're going to see us, we need we love the floating stage because it was big enough to dance up and down on. (laughs) 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 Yeah, just be true to yourself. Just do what what makes you feel good when you sing, and then the rest of the people will, too. Yeah.
1: That's great advice. Did that come naturally to you, or did you have to gain that confidence?
2: No, I think, actually, I came out of the womb with that, according to my... <laughs> my... <laughs> Just... <laughs> yeah, no, um, confidence has not been a problem. And and like I said, I am the world's biggest extrovert, so if you give me a microphone and let me dance in front of a 1,000 people... I'm happy. I'm in my happy place. (laughs) Loving it.
1: Oh, that's good. Well, I think that's, you know, that's good advice to, to others. If you, if you are shy or that is a, a struggle for you or a challenge, it's one that probably you need to work on and, and find mentors and learn, because that is a big, it's a big, yeah. it unlocks potential, doesn't it?
2: it really does. I think the the biggest thing is you have to be authentic because people mm-hmm. can tell that you're putting it on or you're faking it or you're, you know, you're, who you're not, It it is going to show exponentially. So just be authentic. If you're the quiet guitar player in the corner that, you know, that sings quietly, there's a place for that. You know, there's a place for that. And it, it you know, it, it may not be the floating stage, but there's a place for that.
1: <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. That's really good advice. Don't change who you are. Find the place where you're, where you're comfortable and, and where you can shine. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that kind of takes us to uh, another, a really important initiative that I want to chat with you about the unity Collective is a a social movement that's been formed. It's Collingwood specific, but I think it really relates to the whole region and and quite frankly, our whole culture across the world right now. I'm going to ask you a little bit about it. So it's been formed as a movement to build an inclusive Collingwood that welcomes and celebrates our diversity through unified and collective collaborative action, which is a very bold purpose. And I love it. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how and why it was formed? What are the roots of the Unity Collective?
2: Well, the roots go back, actually, to when there was a movement that uh, a woman in town started a petition. There was a Confederate flag hanging on a house on 9th Street. And I saw this come out on Facebook and just went, Oh, you gotta be kidding. And actually I I live two and a half blocks away and I'd never driven that way and never seen it. And when I did, I couldn't unsee it. Once George Floyd happened, we started, you know, the petition went, went out and it was very interesting that it went out the year before and got about 200 signatures, apparently. Now, after this movement of George Floyd and uh, everything that was happening and the change that was being made, the petition went out again. And it got 35,000 signatures. From there, yeah, it was incredible. And then from there, we had two Black Lives Matter marches in Collingwood in a week. Now, Collingwood has not been known for its diversity in the past. Let's be honest. It's a ski town, Alpine. Like, it's fairly often. It, It has not been known for diversity, but oh my, is that changing? So, to see two thousand people line the streets and trust me we did not have two thousand people of color we two thousand people and they say that change happens when those that are unaffected become outraged that kind of thing remember the exact quote but that's Mm -hmm. the general you need everybody else to go heck no this is not right so these marches went on two thousand people two in in a week and then the town council give them credit that they recognized that uh, all white town council really couldn't advise on diversity and inclusion they looked for help so they looked to local citizens and it's not just all people of color it is allies it is everything luckily we have an indigenous member as well too because boy do we need that right now
1: yeah we sure do
2: Yeah, and it's it's people just looking to make change, to advise, but also to make sure that everyone in Collingwood and those newcomers that have come all feel like they belong and all have a seat at the table and that this is their home and they are welcome. It is a bold initiative. Also, you know, the the town council has taken the Confederate flag issue all the way to the federal government to be able to change hate, hate speech laws so that those flags must come down. And they need and they've to. Got, they need to. And they have gotten all kinds of encouragement and other municipalities are jumping on board. And Collingwood is leading the way. And I am, I've am i never been so proud of this town. It's just. Mm-hmm.
1: I would agree. And, and just to give you some praise as i know you're very modest but a lot of that was from your advocacy the way that you spoke at the town council meeting and and the way in which you shared your story and the needs and so you know i think i will give the leaders credit for listening and acting but it really comes from the grassroots in the community and you've just done a stellar job of educating people and being open and talking about what matters. And I think we need more of that. So congratulations and thank you for that.
2: Thank you yeah. very much. It's it's, it's it's been a labor of love. And, you know, to be able to speak out and, and help change to happen is yeah. such a gift. Such yeah. a gift, as you know, with Rainbow Club and yeah. an incredible Pride weekend that you were here. It was. You want to talk about diversity and inclusion? Now we're talking. This, yeah. Up.
1: Well, what I loved about participating in the Rainbow Club with my colleagues, which is a, a LGBTQ and allied community focused organization, one of the things that we we recognized right up front was that it has to be intersectional. So we need. A diverse voices around the table and that included that include you know gender abilities black white and brown voices people of, of all different walks of life and communities and even in in that movement we didn't have a lot of diversity but we knew we we started from a place of of wanting to grow there and learn from that and i think you know, the the festival, we included so much of that content to to educate ourselves and to learn. And you, you moderated a great panel with Indigenous leaders, representatives of the Black Lives Matter movement and others. And I learned so much just in terms of people's lived experience. You, you were quoted in a, a great story by John Edwards. And you mentioned you were talking about the Unity Collective and you talked about how You know storytelling is such a great tool for education and I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your own personal story you know what what have you experienced as a a Canadian coming from Jamaica have you had or experienced racism barriers challenges along the way is is anything you could share with us about what your experience has been like and and what you've learned
2: well the interesting part is that you know a few microaggressions as you go along and when i think back as a child you know there was a few but it really wasn't that bad for me and again my the color of my skin i just i don't i, I describe myself as beige like so <laughs> i did not stick out there too much so i don't get it really my story is my parents story and i don't if if that is something you would like me to Please? share so my mother came to this country in the early 50s as a black Jamaican nurse. She was in her early 20s at that point. She left a family that was quite privileged in Jamaica. And in Jamaica, race isn't really an issue. You certainly have education levels and maybe that, but you don't have a race issue. The color of your skin doesn't matter. So she comes up and she suffered a few where she would go, say, to get, you know, look to rent an apartment she was furthering her nursing career and she she of course spoke very well and be on the phone to the people and get right over there and yes it's available come right over she's over there in 10 minutes and they would open the door take a look and go oh i'm sorry it was just rented and politely closed the door Mm. okay but the big one came about 10 years into her living in Canada where she was ready to buy her first house. And she went to the new home sales office and she picked out her house and her lot All wonderful. The salesperson who was, I've heard him described by my mother as the whitest man in Canada, wrote up the offer, (laughs) took it to the the builder, and in the process of having the conversation with him, said, oh, this is a great offer. She's well qualified. She's a Jamaican nurse. And the builder pushed the offer back across the table and said, I am not selling to those people. Mm. We don't know exactly what he said, but we can guess. Yeah. So, The salesperson went back and told my mother exactly what the builder had said. And my mother decided to fight and she went to the Human Rights Council. So picture early 1960s, a single black female in a country that was not her country of birth. And she just went, oh, heck no. And she went to the Human Rights Council. She'd had enough. And the salesperson testified for her. And huh? said exactly what the builder had said. So my mother won. She got her house. The salesperson got fired by the builder because he testified for her. Shortly after that, they started dating. Then they got married and they made me. And now I get to keep the fight going. Wow. And also, well. me, and now I am too. Talk about history repeating itself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a what a story. Well, and I... I think it explains your role as an advocate. It gives, it, it, it shapes, you know, who you are. And obviously those lessons, even as someone who works in in real estate, you're representing your clients. I'll bet you fight for them for every offer that they put on the table.
2: And the last a year and a half has been one heck of a fight in this town. <laughs> oh my God! Exodus, like wow. I know.
1: I know. Yeah, we, we. Yeah, I have a. I have a, a. couple of questions for you on that front, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna wait till we get there. What a story, and what. What an experience.
2: Um, what interesting about that story too is that my mother didn't tell me this until I was in my early twenties. She can't oh really? all for me until I could handle it. I grew up thinking the world was idyllic and other than a few little boys teasing me about something or that. And I just brushed it off because my mother raised me with always telling me that I had the best of both worlds Mm. and we would go forth between Jamaica and Canada. And I had the best of both worlds and I totally and completely believed it. And she was right. And look what it's given me now. Amazing.
1: And I think it's a good example. I think it's it's an example of where things are changing today, where, uh, or maybe not. I mean, I think, you know, obviously your mom was protecting you and and helping you to not have to maybe deal with some of those pressures, that knowledge and, and the fear and I feel like today, you know, I know a lot of parents really struggle with and tr- are trying to figure out how to support their kids. It's one of the things I learned from the Rainbow Club. Our biggest number of people who come to reach out to us are actually parents trying to find resources for their kids. And, you know, we're in a time where, you know, you talked about some amazing things that have happened. The, the Black Lives Matter marches, the support in response to George Floyd, you know, everyone rallying around that Confederate flag and... <laughs> dealing with it once and for all. And then, you know, the Collingwood's First Ever Pride is an example. So lots of momentum. But at the same time, we also have some pretty ugly things that are happening. We've seen a lot of racism against South Asians in the community, visitors. We've seen a lot of uh, problems. You know, the, the Rainbow Crosswalk has been vandalized. So there's, you know, and more and more. So you've got this kind of this duality happening where there's progress and then there's sort of steps back. And I would imagine we've always been there. What's your sense in in our community. Are we making progress? Does progress result in a pendulum swing where you get a bit of blowback? You know, uh, help us understand that. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my
2: company, the SoundOff Podcast Network had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, Matt soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. pendulum because that's exactly what it is the pendulum swings far one way and it's got to swing far back the other way and then eventually land in the middle we've poked the hornet's nest A little bit with with all that 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 has been happening out there and there's still some some old ideas out there and a few people probably hanging on to it and I think that's true in any and every community but we have certainly rallied here so you have things like the park at Sunset Point was was vandalized but within 24 hours our community came and completely transformed Mm -hmm. it and replaced messages of hate with messages of love and it was all grassroots so are we making progress yes i believe we are and if nothing was happening then whatever we were doing would not be working but if it's making people act out a little bit well they're soon and they are already outnumbered And I think they will be shut down very quickly. Anytime there's an act of vandalism, there is a response. And that response gets bigger and better every time. And if you can, if you saw the the Sunset Park, the love bomb that happened there. Love bomb. Oh, my God god that was incredible so let's take that park never mind put it back the way it was we're going to make it a thousand times better and it is just going to welcome the world to that park
1: and it's really spectacular i'm so proud of everyone who was involved it was like a a breath of fresh air when i think when people needed it the most to be reminded that there's so much positivity and momentum and uh so thank you for thank you for giving us your perspective on that i think it's it's good to know uh expect a bit of turbulence but we are flying higher.
2: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Marcia, your positivity is so wonderful to hear as well. It's so it's so great to talk about it and hear about all the positive things that are happening, but also recognize the negativity that there still is and just keep powering through because I think you're right. That's the only way to kind of get where we want to go. That's
1: right. And you know Sydney and uh, Marcia, and I think you, you've said this, I'm just sort of restating what you said, but I've always believed that if you're not ruffling a few feathers along the way, you're not relevant or where you need to be, right? If, if, you're, not, if you're not causing friction, you're not doing enough. So I think that's a, per, it's a perfect example of, of the community doing what it needs. I wonder, you know, in Unity Collective, diversity and inclusion, one of the things that I've observed in our community is that we are blessed with so many women leaders. And, you know, in every sector that we, we interact with, there are so many strong and very uh, effective women at the helm, uh, whether that's the social sector, whether that's entrepreneurs, whether that's in tourism, real estate, beyond. And I think to the outsider looking in, we would go, okay, you know, we're, gender is, less of an issue but i you know my question to for you and to you sydney is you know uh, how do you feel about that do, do we still have a gender gap in the community how's that changing and w- what kind of work do you both think we might need to be thinking about speaking to a, a, a white man you know give me some give me some pointers <laughs>
2: <laughs> well it's funny i don't know if i can really help too too much in in that respect because of the job that i do yeah i'm in real estate i you know provide shelter and sell houses to people and and so it's not something that i had to climb over or you know that that men were at the head of that i had to so and i've been in real estate my entire life for 36 years so i don't know that corporate ladder i'm sure it's still there and i know it is i just haven't personally experienced it in you know uh, feeling or or having to overcome the obstacles you know as a woman in business They've not been there for me. Sydney, What what's your experience?
0: I haven't really experienced anything along those lines since I've moved up here. I moved up here a year and a half ago and started working for the BMVA. If I was going to say anything, I feel like sometimes it's in even social settings where maybe something said that it, it wasn't intended. And, you know, the way that you that I personally react is quite slow. And then later I realize mm, maybe that shouldn't have been said. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think the only way to deal with it, if I was going to say a way to deal with it, is maybe to just kind of hit the nail on the head and and make a comment towards like maybe just for an example, some people, maybe someone doesn't like being called sweetie by anybody. I feel like a lot of women just kind of go with it because we're used to it, because that's what's happened. And, you know, if you if you bring something up to someone to their face, they're likely not going to do it again to you. And maybe think twice about what they've said or what made you feel uncomfortable. So that's the only thing I have to say. It's quite minor,
1: but it's, but it's something, and I'm glad you raised it because unfortunately it puts the onus on, let's say you're in that situation. It puts the onus on you to have to respond and educate. And I think sometimes that can feel there. You can, it can feel very unfair Yeah, because you expect that that's being done, but I guess we're at that point where we still have to find that voice and challenge, right? But it's not easy, is it?
0: Well, I think that's kind of what I'm realizing just within myself is that you have to stand up for yourself, right? You want others to support you, of course, and you want that support, and we should all be in it together, but there's always gonna be moments where you need to just stand up and say something. So that's my only insight.
2: (laughs) Well, that's a great insight, but you know, as they say, teach people how to treat you
0: exactly right exactly That's
1: that's right and that voice you know i think it comes back to you know marcia i mean like you said you were born with that extrovert gene and i think that's probably helped you so much right and i think for for all of us in leadership positions it's if we sense someone is struggling let's be the voice for those who might not feel comfortable yet, or let's make sure our HR policies or corporate policies are such that it it makes people feel comfortable to speak out. So I'm glad you raised that because it is, you know, Marcia, you mentioned microaggressions, you know, sometimes it's that stuff that just sort of, it's on the periphery and you, you realize after and made you feel uncomfortable or you kind of sweep it under the rug. You know, one of my, one of the things that I've, I've leveraged to deal with, with homophobia and those sorts of like comments. I remember one time I was at a, feast in the forest here. And there was a couple of guys down the line behind making some jokes and they use the sort of disparaging H word. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, my go-to is to make it a joke. So I turned around and I was like, Hey guys, there's a, there's a homo right up here. So, you know, better watch your language or whatever. And kind of made a joke. And I was proud of myself in the mm-hmm. moment, but I was like, yeah, but I'm making a joke. I'm not yeah. educating. Right. So it's learn. It's, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. come easy. It takes time. But I think, I think the more we can support each other on that, and talk about it is good. So thank you for sharing. Thank you both for sharing that. And, you know, Marcia, you've been moderating some great conversations, you know, part of the Unity Collective. For people who want to talk about diversity and inclusion or people who want to talk about how to support women or support people of color, but maybe they're uncomfortable with figuring out how to start the conversation, what advice would you have?
2: Call me. Call me.
0: (laughs) You heard I it here, that. folks. <laughs> well,
2: I've just, you know, I've sort of said to people, listen, I, I live in both worlds. My father was the whitest man in Canada. My mother was a black man Like, I am in both worlds, and I am beige. So I'm probably the least, uh, you know, the least threatening one to, or uh, you can come to me at any time with any Questioner: how do i approach this or what do i do because i may not have the answers but i have family all over the world that do and let me tell you something when this george george floyd thing started to heat up i had an open line to jamaica and nassau to my cousins going okay what about this okay what about this what do i say to this how do i answer this you know and they just kept sending me material and, and because i haven't experienced everything i don't right. have personal lived experiences that say BAM does in our band having grown up in Detroit, you know, back and, and, and is now fighting the civil rights movement for the second time. I mean, it's just incredible. He was there the first time and he's here again. So different, but, but I am somebody that I hope people come to and they have been with questions and to ask and just to find out and just to educate. Because yeah. I can point you in the right direction. That's that's the gift that I can give. And happy to do it. Because it's not always comfortable to go up to somebody that has had those lived experience and say, Teach me all about it. You need to educate yourself in that. That's but it's how do you do that? If you don't know. So here, I'm the one, <laughs> I'm here, I'm gonna ask me. You can text me anytime and uh, I'll figure it out for you. And my goal is or not goal, but I've said to people, you know, we make change by having one uncomfortable conversation at a time Just keep doing it. And some of this is new to me too. Like you said about making a joke when something was said, you know, I've been guilty of that so many times in the, in the past or of just ignoring it. But in the last year and a half, I don't ignore it anymore. If there's something off color that's not right, I gently try first to say, you know, mm, maybe we could say it this way or, you know, yeah. maybe we could or You know, that might that might make somebody feel uncomfortable is what I've said to people before Yeah, and that's right. you, know, you, know, you just have to have those uncomfortable conversations. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to stop somebody that's having a good time and telling a joke about blah, 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 but it's an off color joke and it's offensive yeah. gently. It's correct and educate
1: super advice and and the one thing that i would add to that from my own personal experience and from the lgbtq perspective is i think people are so afraid to say the wrong word or the Mm. wrong term and i i I try to encourage people just just tell me what you're thinking don't worry about the language i I want to understand what's in your heart and you know what questions you have because i think that's what that's what helps people learn and i think people you know i think of the indigenous experience and and you know even the terminology of indigenous peoples has changed so people don't Mm -hmm. know what words to use and i think one of the things we we need to to reassure people is just try to communicate and ask questions and you know marcia like you said if if we don't have the answers we'll we'll find out and i think that's one of the great Benefits of the Unity Collective is to help us learn, right? So, you know, Sydney and I and the team here at BMVA, you know, any support we can provide, you just let us know.
2: Oh, definitely. It's, it's fabulous. You know what? It it's fabulous. And it's just like you say, you've got to, there's so many resources to educate yourself on. But I agree. I mean, as I was moderating the inclusion and diversity panel, I'm trying really hard to keep all the letters in my head. You mm-hmm. got a lot of letters.
1: it's true it's true it's
2: it's true you know i just let it go you know what my heart's in the right place i'm never going to be able to memorize it all didn't have to didn't have to heart's in the right place that's right as you would if you if you come from a good place speaking honestly and do ask for help in the in the right you know where and maybe ask in the way of where can i where would you advise that i go and get some education on this like where can i look what can i do and there's you know there's a million resources for it and as well same with with what's happening with the residential schools i mean heartbreaking and we all have questions and we all but it's such a sensitive issue that who do you ask where do you go what do you do well i start with google and go okay what do i need
1: For sure. And I think sometimes it's also trusting people and bringing empathy to the table. So you have to have a bit of confidence and ask a question and be prepared that the way you phrase it might not be right and understand that you might get it wrong. And that's okay. That's part of learning. Right. And I think we're in this sort of culture right now where everyone is so, you know, just look at any community based social media forum to know that if you say the wrong thing, you you know, It can go bad. And I I worry that that creates a chill, but at the same time, it's a learning experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope that, I hope we can do that. But I, I have a sense, I feel, I feel so much better knowing that the Unity Collective has formed, mm-hmm. that it is so diverse and that it's yeah. a resource for all of us. And I can think of a number of ways in which we'll be working together in, you know, welcoming visitors, in, in developing mm-hmm. staff training and all sorts of stuff. So, so uh, I'm looking forward to that.
0: And thank really? you. Thanks
1: for sharing your story. I mean, I think that and thank you both for sharing your stories. I mean, that's what it's all about. Thanks you were right. Asking. You were right, Marcia. Storytelling is the best way, isn't
2: mm-hmm. it? The way. Yeah. <laughs>
1: now, for, for listeners who dial into this podcast frequently, you know, I can't help but talk about my passion topic, which is housing, attainable <laughs> housing, labor supply. Oh. And, you know, I mentioned you were a triple threat because you're also a realtor, which means you, you know, on top of all this other insights and experience, you, you have a, a particular perspective working in this field. So I, I wonder, I'm going to start with the fun stuff before I get to the heady, because I, <laughs> I, I tend to bang that drum perhaps a little too much. As a realtor, someone who, I mean, I, I love what you get to do every day because you get to see how people live. You get to see homes, you get to see trends. So I'm wondering what kind of trends are you tracking right now in houses? What do people prefer? Are open plans still big? You know, every time you watch a home and garden television show, I'm always amazed that people focus on stainless steel appliances instead of structural things. Mm-hmm. What, what are you seeing that mat- What matters to a, a, a buyer right now in a house? What trends are really keeping them excited?
2: Well... Through the pandemic, what I saw was people wanted space and safety. Mm. They wanted and they needed a home office because (laughs) mom and dad were working from home. Kids were going to school at home. And those people that were in Toronto in their 35th floor condo with no place to go and those walls just started to shrink in, I'm sure. Boy, we, um, anything that had a little bit of, it was very interesting in this market when it first started going, it started going at the high end. Two and a half, $3 million homes all of a sudden that have been on the market for a couple of years were getting multiple offers. I, of course, happened to be out with a buyer looking at that, those kind of properties and just giving my head a shake going, what is happening? Because yeah. it doesn't normally go that way. It starts from the bottom and builds a fire. No, it started at and it was, I believe it was those people in Toronto that had the money and the wealth and were able to just make a decision and go, we're out of here. Let's go. You know, stuff with acreage that they felt safe in. Stuff with some space in the house that they could still like their families in. Because let me tell you, four people in <laughs> a 100 square foot condo would about kill you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah.
2: Oh, oh, oh. So, anything <laughs> with space and people would, especially room for a home office, that was absolutely major. And I'm not sure how much the open concept was as much of a draw when everybody's speaking on Zoom at the same time. I believe for a sure. few walls a big thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, uh, there you go, folks. That's why the lumber prices went up. Oh. As more walls were being built inside, yeah?
2: Right. It was, yeah, everybody needed their own space because yeah. they had to exist 24-7 within walls that they were used to just sleeping in. They had so much of an out, outside life and work life and school life and activities. Do you remember how overscheduled all of our children were? We came home yeah. from school and it was like food in and we're off to this and we're off to that and hockey, a bit and all of a sudden it all stopped. Yeah. And or that- the
1: activities were in the house, yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know, my my partner owns and operates a design firm, and and there's a couple of principles he always reminds me of when talking real estate. One is, of course, the design and the aesthetic and the trend, and then the other is functionality, mm-hmm. and the space has to be functional primarily, and and then it has to look great. And I think that's kind of what you're what you're talking about is that 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 functionality was. Pr- would you say that that was the primary driver? Were there were there was there anything more aesthetic? that might have been driving people's interests looks style aspects
2: andrew to be honest with you this market went so insane up here i was selling houses to people that hadn't even seen them so i'm sure if it was the aesthetics that were i mean if it was if it was functional and pretty then it might have 30 40 offers on it like that's what we were working to and it was nuts that's insightful decades and i'm i'm going i don't know what is happening but i'm just gonna hang on (laughs) for
1: For young people and we've talked a lot about you know attainable housing and the and here's where the through line is for me and and especially when i think about all your work you're doing for the unity collective i have heard the same conversation about those people in quotation marks but it's a different group today it's frontline workers it's international workers It's Mm -hmm. young people. And that's Mm -hmm. the, we don't want those people here. And I believe it's a big part of what's impacting the resistance to attainable housing. So it's funny how there's a through line and there's some things that remain, but, setting that aside for a second young people you know sydney not that i'm revealing anyone's age no. but sydney you've come from a, you're a millennial is that would that be fair i am a millennial uh millennials moving here starting their careers it's a challenge it's mm-hmm. a challenge to find a property so marcia for a young person or a couple who's looking to buy their first home what what advice are you giving them right now
2: man save your money <laughs> <laughs> Save your money <laughs> You know, I think people now with the prices and the way things are in this area, you're going to have to really pare it down to what you most need. The want list has to be sort of maybe your second, third home, I think now. It's the need list. And maybe, like our parents, parents before that, you know, there were people that raised five kids in a two-bedroom wartime bungalow. Maybe you don't need the family room, the, the double car garage, the big lot and everything for your first house. Because unless you've got some heck of a job right now, only is going to happen. So... You know, if you can find something that hits all of your needs, you don't have to have your dream house on the first go-round. You need yeah. to get your tool into the market here. Yeah,
1: It's a continuum. It needs- and most people start small and build. I mean, I think the right. challenge here is there's not a lot of that small to start with. Not
2: a lot of small. That's, yeah. that's the problem. But, you know, you, you need to start small. And you need to be prepared, perhaps as a young person, to put in some sweat equity mm-hmm. and build that and find something that maybe you can make a basement apartment in there. We need those here. And that I will do. help everybody. So, or a coach house or something mm-hmm. to provide some housing and some decent housing, then you know, you're gonna help pay off your mortgage and you're gonna help somebody else at least have a, a decent place to live that they can work in this community and provide the needs of, of everybody. So
1: Yeah, that's good advice. Bring a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit to your point about your first home might not be your ideal home. You might have to make compromises. I mean, Ooh. I think that goes for everyone, mm-hmm. but certainly for people looking at their first the first time home. I think, yeah, this is a market where that that's just a reality. This is a two parter. As as someone who I have always tried to live in places that are up and coming. That's always been back to, to your point. I've lived mm-hmm. in the the neighborhoods that no one wanted to live in, and then waited it out. It's basically how I've done it. <laughs> it's the only way I could. Mm-hmm. My question to you is: in our community now, where, what are the where are those hot pockets? Where are there areas where there might be opportunity for maybe you can get a good deal now because it's not the best neighborhood, but it will grow. Are there are are there any left?
2: I'm not sure there are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh-oh. it's a good question though i mean i'm curious mercy i'm looking so yeah. give me the insight please Well,
2: back in the day before the craziness like took over but still i think i think andrew i think you've done it again and meaford is very up and coming very up and coming you've got everything there it's just a little bit farther you know away from the, the ski hills But you have beautiful waterfront, you know, you've got and the prices there have certainly risen as well, but possibly not as much. If you're trying to buy in downtown Collingwood in the tree streets or Thornberry right now, or if you're trying to buy anything, God bless you with acreage and a nice house that's still within sort of a a, now. okay, we we have commuting is a very different concept here, like more than 10 minutes away for me. Wow, that's far. Okay, like in Toronto, a different thing. People will drive an hour, hour and a half to come into work. But here, it's like, Ooh, that's ten minutes. That's that's yeah. But acreage became very, very popular. Um, But I think Meaford, and as you're going out, is probably your last bastion right now. Of there's some affordability there, and I think there's room for growth. So yeah. good on you.
1: Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that was, I, I applied that philosophy. I, I kind of had a sense and I I definitely uh, advocate for that for sure. It's worth a little bit of drive and uh, there's mm-hmm. some pretty hip people there. So, and the music okay. scene there, the music scene, not, not that dissimilar from from Collingwood, uh, Blue Mountains, Craig Lee, Thornberry. There's some really great music venues there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's, it's. It, bottom line is, unfortunately people are going to have to look a little beyond mm-hmm. the municipalities but that that cluster if you will is is important and and you know a little bit the communities f- further further afield but then that brings us to the infrastructure and things like transportation and mm-hmm. and e- attainable housing projects even within our communities i'm wondering oh. if you have any thoughts on on what we might need to do at a, at a policy level to incentivize the the creation of attainable housing do, do you see enough leadership there
2: well, I think we need to give builders an incentive to yeah. build those I mean, listen, this is this world works on people making a profit. They can't function unless they do, unless the government takes over and builds attainable housing. But if you want private sector to do it, then the government has to give them some break somewhere here in order to provide that. And if we don't have that. We've got a problem. We've yeah. got a huge problem. I know it is, it is, it is one of your, your projects. And I know you've brought municipalities together and that's, that's incredible. And that's the way certainly to, to lead in this. But there has to be, like you say, something incentivizing people to build this. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I remember hearing that Whistler had done something to, you know, create housing. We have to, I believe, look at other places that have had this kind of growth. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. People have done it. People have solved this problem. And it may not have been as urgent before the pandemic, but we're in crisis mode now for this. Yeah. This has to happen. Or all of these you know, wonderful restaurants and, and the services and everything, those people have to be able to afford to live where they work.
1: I mean, at the end of the day... Do we have community values of diversity and inclusion where we invest in things like infrastructure for people to get out of cars and to save money on transportation? Can we change our planning frameworks and incentivize developers? Can taxpayers and the government play a role in stimulating that so that our communities can be robust and diverse and, everyone who works here can live here and you know i I think the answer is yes i believe in my conversations with almost everyone they all believe in it i think we're just still struggling on how to get it done that's that's a good place to be right now at least so we, we you know we're in a crisis right now five years ago we were in a similar crisis and we had no momentum today the crisis has worsened but we've done a lot of homework and there's a lot of frameworks in place. So now the trick is now we got to invest. We got to put them, our money where our mouths are and make it happen. So, it's yeah.
2: us, but it has to be done. So I believe that if, you know, uh, people take a good look around at other communities that have battled with this and have successfully been able to provide attainable housing, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. No. Let's. Move forward, but I you're absolutely right now. You know, this has been brought to the government's attention for years and years and years. Mark Schumannidhi has been an incredible,
1: yeah, she has.
2: Lover, former real estate agent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she was talking about this 15 years ago, and they were doing studies 15, but people were going, you know, they were giving it lip service, but they weren't really, they didn't see the future and how it was going to wind up well here it is folks it's on our doorstep now and we got to deal with it right now and people are people are listening people are starting to move in the right direction you've been a great proponent proponent of that and i do believe we can solve it because we don't have a choice it has to be solved or you're going to be going into that restaurant walking into the kitchen cooking your own food serving it to yourself frankly i mean it's not going to work but
1: yes we all we all don't want that well if we've learned anything in the last year and a half is -hmm. that we can adapt we can mobilize we can raise funds to make sure the community has what it needs we've proven to ourselves we can do it so to me now it's a model to apply to attainable housing to environmental sustainability to supporting arts and culture so i think i think we're primed so i look forward to working with you more marcia On that. And again, you know, the theme is intersectionality. Like we can, we all bring these unique perspectives. And I think by focusing on that diversity, that's going to help us find the right answers. So you have given us a lot, a lot to think about today as a creative and as an artist. Thank you for your voice and all of its tones, the way you (laughs) use it to entertain, the way you use it to advocate, the way you use it to share and tell stories. And just, you know, on behalf of all of us here at Blue Mountain Village Association, thank you for everything that you do. We wouldn't be the destination we are if we didn't have partners like you sharing your voice. And uh, we're really grateful to you. I wish you all the best in the, the season ahead. And, and thanks for your time today.
2: Thank you. I, Andrew, it's been an honor. And I so appreciate being able to use my voice and to have platforms like this to do it. And thank you. And thank you for all you do. I appreciate oh. it.
1: Thank you. And we will be dancing on a stage when permitted together very soon.
2: <laughs> I hear you used to play instruments, so I might see a guest appearance or something. We do. Mm. Yes. Here we oh, go. Let's go. Because
1: <laughs> you don't want me to sing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold that
1: <back> again. Okay. <laughs> you got it covered. Well, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Marcia. It was a pleasure having you on. Pleasure. Have a wonderful day, folks.
1: During today's conversation with Marcia, we've talked a lot about live music on our various stages. It's one of my favorite things about Blue Mountain Village. Sydney, tell us about all the different shows that we have in store over the summer and into the fall.
0: People, we have three stages in the village. We have so many local and international artists who are visiting us this summer and fall. If you want to learn more about all the artists that will be visiting us this summer, visit our website at bluemountainvillage.ca slash events.
1: We promise you'll have a great experience. You'll have a lot of fun. And every show
0: has your safety in mind. Thanks for listening to Blue Mountain Village Voices, a production of the Blue Mountain Village Association. For more, go to bluemountainvillage.ca.
2: A production of the Sound Off Media Company.
0: Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga.